you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. The Season with Peter Schrager is a production of the NFL in partnership with iHeartRadio. What's up, everybody? Welcome to The Season. I'm Peter Schrager. I'm joined by my friend and producer slash wingman on this thing, Mr. Aaron Wong Kaufman, who seems to have a pep in his step right now because Aaron's team, the Bills, went from being the 11th seed a few months ago to now sitting pretty in the two spot of the AFC playoffs, getting a TJ Wattless Steelers coming in, having a home game the following week if they win that one. Aaron, if I told you before the season started and all the drama and everything that you'd be the two seed in the AFC, would you sign? Oh, yeah. I mean, I would <laughs> happily accept that. Uh, there was a time, I'm sure, like on this show, you know, that I was downtrodden and was like, we're not going to make it. We're we're a mess. We're not even going to be in the playoff race. Uh, like eoring it up over here. Yeah. And here we are. Yeah. I feel like we could go through the files. And I was actually really bullish after a loss. When they lost to the Eagles, I came on here and I was like, there's actually a path if they get their crap together during the bye week that they can do this. They haven't lost since. It hasn't been pretty. I mean, again, I told you last week, like, this isn't like this red hot team coming in. It has not been pretty. They threw two red zone turnovers. They barely won last week, but everyone else lost also. So here we are, the two seed bills. And whether or not it was pretty or not, there's no standings for aesthetics. And they're where they are. And they're likely hosting Patrick Mahomes in the second round of the playoffs. And that's something you would have signed up for before this season. Let's move right along. The matchups are great. But if you listen to this podcast, you're in the coaching, hiring, and firing world. Uh, so much going on right now. You can find the different lists of the different teams and what's going on. Real quick, Harbaugh wins the national title this week. He has a head start on all of these coaches. Due to the NFL's Rooney rule and the way things have been shaken out during the competition committee this past year, no coach currently with an NFL job, whether it be head coach or a coordinator, can interview for any other jobs until January 21st, which is after the divisional round of the playoffs. Harbaugh, however, 
he's exempt from that. So he gets first dibs on this. Now, every team is going to have to go through the Rooney rule. You can't just meet Harbaugh and hire him. You have to meet at least, uh, you know, fit those requirements, meet minority candidates, meet people of color, and then you can make your decision. But Harbaugh, hypothetically speaking, Aaron, this week, he can knock them all out. First impression's important. He can say, here's who my staff is. Let's, let's get this thing going. And a team almost, uh, I guess, by uh, you know a formality, will meet with other uh, you know candidates. And I guess that's not what the NFL is looking for. But I think Harbaugh is really interesting for the LA Chargers. I've mentioned this on Good Morning Football. I've been saying it for weeks. I'm sure they're doing their due diligence on several candidates and they've put offers or submission for requests in. But Harbaugh to me, you're talking about a guy who has won right away everywhere he's gone. That's the University of San Diego. That is Stanford. That is the 49ers. And that is Michigan. And he does it almost overnight. That is what the Chargers need right now. They are in a fight for relevance. They are playing in Los Angeles, which has a bigger team than them in the Rams right now as far as relevance and wins. Talking about the USC and UCLA. USC, of course, just had Caleb Williams, a recent Heisman winner. UCLA just got a commit from Hasselbeck's kid, who's one of the highest uh, rated prospects. You've got a lot of things to do in LA. They're opening up a brand new facility that's supposed to be insanely cool in Orange County. They've got this quarterback under contract in Justin Herbert, and they've got a fledgling fan base in LA that's looking for a reason to believe. To me, that's the fit for Harbaugh. Go there. Maybe the last time around it wasn't. Maybe five years ago for the Chargers, it wasn't. At this moment in time, that franchise, they need a leader. They don't have a GM right now. Let Harbaugh come in as the coach. Figure out who he wants to bring in as GM. Let him have the power. Hand it over to him. Fix us. I don't know if he's for everybody, but I think the Chargers make a lot of sense. Also, as we're recording this, Mike Vrabel and the Titans are no longer uh, together. Vrabel was just let go by by Tennessee and Amy Adams Strunk, the owner. She put out a statement saying they redid the front office last year. They gave this a year of him and Rand Carthon and what they're doing in the front office. And they're now going to relook at how they have their coaching staff assembled. Uh, Vrabel, not for everybody. Tough. Um, but also a winner. He's a former coach of the year and several players are, are, are swear by him and say that he's a player's coach as tough as he can be. He might not be everybody, be for everybody, but I think he's going to be a viable candidate for all these different vacant head coaching jobs. And I, I tweeted this out, Aaron, and I think it's interesting. That coach of the year award, it really means because you get a piece of hardware and it's cool, but in a lot of ways, it really means nothing. In the last couple of years, we've seen Jason Garrett win it and fired shortly thereafter. Saw Ron Rivera win it after a 15-1 season with the Panthers. A couple of years later, David Tepper fires him. Matt Nagy won it three years later. He's fired by the Chicago Bears. And Mike Vrabel won it a couple of years ago when the Super Bowl was in L.A. I remember being at SoFi talking to him at the NFL Honors. That was two years ago. Fired. So the NFL Coach of the Year, I'm not saying it's a cursed award or it's bad luck, but usually it goes to a guy that can turn a team around overnight or can get a team to make a giant leap despite great adversity. It doesn't mean you're given a Supreme Court justice job and you can't be fired. Vrabel's just the latest head coach of the year winner who is fired by that very same team. Last but not least, uh, I want to talk real quick about the matchups this weekend. We've got great ones. Uh, the schedule as you see it, I'm going to use this as a public service announcement. As we're doing it, it's AFC, 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 then the three NFC games follow with the Monday night game being on Monday with the 
with the the Eagles traveling to Tampa in what becomes a very interesting game where they played earlier this season. The Eagles absolutely walloped them down there in Florida. And right now I, I can't see that same Eagles team doing that. But I want to make a public service announcement for Saturday night. I don't work for these guys. Uh, I've never worked for these guys. But the game is exclusively on Peacock. Aaron, do you have Peacock? I do, only because, uh, what was it, two, three weeks ago? The you Bills bought it game, for the Bills game? Is that bought what it for the bought Bills it? game. And then last night it was good to have because this is all irrelevant, but there's this like direct TV streaming debate or like they oh, don't okay. have the rights. So oh, direct TV. I'm not friends with direct TV. They did me no, no favors. They're not with the NFL anymore. Yeah, I can't uh, stream Sunday night football unless it's on Peacock now Interesting. or, or I watch the Spanish language version. So okay. I do and that sometimes too. Okay. <laughs> but I'm sure so that's, that's good. I do now have Peacock in order to watch uh, the bills game. And then this Saturday night, I'll be able to watch uh, the dolphins game. But I do think uh, even though we had Mike North on here talking about it, yeah. you're still going to have people who are going to forget. Yeah. And not only forget, not have the service. And this is the, the, the gamble that the NFL and NBC took. They said, we're going to pay big money. We're going to put one of these games on our streamers to promote the streamer. People are already crushing the decision. I've seen Bill Simmons crush it. I've seen Chris Russo crush it. I've seen Mike Francesa crush it. Okay. Well, the more you crush it, the more the, the publicity around it, in, it increases. I don't think it's a surprise. The NFL said we're throwing the Chiefs on there. That legitimizes Peacock. This isn't the earlier game between the Browns and the Texans, which a lot of people might say, well, that's not a matchup. This is defending champions are on Peacock. The defending champions are on Peacock, and they're facing Tyreek Hill in his first game back in Arrowhead. Mike Tirico, from what I gather, is on the call. I don't know if that's been announced yet. Might have to edit that out. I've been told that that's not from NBC, but someone said Tirico is doing multiple games this week, which is – mega and legitimizes it in a lot of ways. Um, so maybe Taylor Swift's in the building. Maybe Travis Kelsey goes wild. But that game is on Peacock. And as you know, uh, there will be many a questions the day of from your uncle, from your aunt, from your friend. Where is this game? How the hell do I get this game? Can I stream this game? Peacock. It is on Peacock. Help them sign up for an account. Get, get no, them set I'm not up encouraging that. I don't work for those guys. I'm just telling you where it is. They can, they can set up there. Oh, okay, account. never mind. Yeah, I don't Ignore that. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm, not, I don't, I'm not shilling for Peacock. <laughs> <laughs> if it was up to me, all the games would be on Fox. Right, um, right. Here we go. Uh, our guest is uh, a guy that I really respect. He's the president of the Los Angeles Rams. And there is no person I wanted to speak with more this week than someone who's had a uh, bird's eye view of all of this stuff. The golf Stafford trade, the move to Los Angeles, and of course, the season that has been one of the most surprising and uplifting ones in all the football that the Los Angeles Rams have had. Uh, I'm really excited to speak with Kevin Deboff, the president of the Rams, right after this. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. I 
I've wanted to have our guest on the season with Peter Schrager every week this season and every week in the off season. It hasn't come together. And then this week I begged him, considering the storylines at play and his vantage point at what I would imagine is the wild card game of the weekend, the one that I'm most excited for. It's taking place Sunday night. It's in Detroit. It's their first home playoff game in 30 years. And oh, who's coming to town? Sean McVay, Matthew Stafford, and the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, this is the president of the Los Angeles Rams. For my money, maybe the smartest guy that I deal with on a day-to-day basis or a week-to-week basis or in any conversations that we have, I feel like he's got the best 30,000-foot view of the league and always provides insights and has done wonders in Los Angeles for this franchise. How's that for an intro? Kevin Demoff, president of the Rams. What's up, buddy? I think I should just end on that note, right? That's the mic drop of, uh, I've wanted to do the podcast too, though. So this is, we finally had a reason uh, to do it as we sit here on a wildcard weekend. What a fun, it's such a crazy time of year in the NFL. You have 14 teams excited about wildcard weekend and then probably the other half for, you know, dealing with something crazy on their own. So it's probably my favorite time of year in the NFL, just from a sheer, you know, excitement and interest. Yeah, I think that's 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 where we're at. And like today on Good Morning Football, we started the show and we talked Belichick and then we went into uh, Wink Martindale and then we went into Kirk Cousins' contract and we had a bunch of viewers being like, hello, there's 14 teams playing football, but that's the crux right now. It's like we're at this intersection of teams trying to rebuild and do it on the fly in January. And then the rest of the league who's still around actually trying to compete for a Super Bowl title. Let's start with the latter with you. Um this is, to me, this is Goff versus the Rams. This is Stafford versus the Lions. This is McVay versus Goff. This is, oh, storylines that are so rich and so seeped into personal intersections. You are the president of the Los Angeles Rams. You were the president of the Los Angeles Rams when they drafted Jared Goff out of Cal, first overall, trading up to get him. And then you were the president of the Rams when you traded Jared Goff for Matthew Stafford, Let's go into the Jared and Matthew, uh, you know, storyline. Let's start with the Jared Goff storyline and where the Rams and you personally stand as you look to travel to Detroit to face the guy that you guys took out of college and then eventually shipped off to go get Stafford. Where do you stand as far as Jared goes and his relationship to the Los Angeles Rams franchise? Well, look, I, I love the idea of Matthew Stafford coming back to Detroit to play in the playoff game. I just wish it wasn't against Jared Goff. Right, like for for me personally, uh, I think for our franchise, if there's one person outside of our 53 players I pull for on Sundays, it's Jared, and hmm. you know means so much to our franchise. He's the first pick we trade up in 2016. He's the first pick of the Los Angeles Rams in the this era of 2016. You know, I remember sitting down with him after the 2016 season when we made the coaching change, and him looking at me and saying, "This will never happen again. I will promise you." we will get this fixed. And we hire Sean. The next year, we go to the playoffs. We win the division. Jared goes to the Pro Bowl. We have the number one offense in the NFL. A year later, we're in the Super Bowl. You know, We went from two years of sitting in my office saying, I promise you I will get this fixed, to being in the Super Bowl. And that was you know, largely the Sean-Jared pairing, Jared's leadership. And I know it didn't end the way we all wanted to with Jared delivering a Super Bowl to Sanders, but Three playoff appearances in four years, two division titles, a Super Bowl, and just one of the best human beings you'll ever meet. And when the trade went down, you know, my two kids were at the time probably 11 and 9 on the floor in tears crying. 
you know, their, their favorite player ever and Mm. still cheer for, for Jared. Um, you know, my daughter will still text with him, you know, every now and then, and like, this is just one of the people you will root for every day of the week. And just maybe not Sunday at 8 PM. I hear you. Cause I, you know, there's like, it's like Rams legacy of Jared Goff. And you'd hate to think the legacy of Jared Goff is the Rams trading him to Detroit. No, I remember NFC Championship game in New Orleans down 13 nothing, and this guy grits out a victory. I remember Seattle during the COVID season. He comes off the bench with about nine fingers because one of them was broken, and he beats Russell Wilson in his building. If you can encapsulate the good of Jared Goff during his Rams career, it was really, really good. There's a picture right outside my office of him doing the finger roll on Monday Night Football after he ran in the ball you know, in that epic game against the Chiefs. Like, I remember that. I remember, you know, one of the greatest passing performances I've ever seen Thursday night against the Vikings, mm-hmm. you know, on Thursday night football when, you know, the first primetime game, you know, regular season at the Coliseum, you know, just all the good he did, donating backpacks during the pandemic uh, to kids in need in Inglewood who had no Wi-Fi, who had no backpacks. I mean, if you needed something, Jared Goff was there. If you needed a community event for the, what he did for, South LA, Watts, Inglewood, and, and those kids for what he did for our football team, for what he did for our fans. Like, he's awesome. You know, simply put, in what he's doing in Detroit, you see it on a daily basis, both on the field and off the field. He encapsulates what you want in, in a franchise quarterback to represent, you know, your organization. And I think all of these players now in this era of social media and, you know, immense focus on the NFL, they go through ups and downs. Um, and, you know, when I talked to him the day after the trade that night, I should say one of the hardest conversations you ever had, like this person was single-handedly responsible, you know, along with our coaching staff for getting us, you know, on the map in Los Angeles. So, you know, you can never boil it down to, could they make a play? Could they do X, Y, and Z? You know, that diminishes so much of who Jared Goff is and what he brings uh, to his teams in this league. Go back to the drafting of Goff, because I think, we forget now that it's been seven years ago, but you guys were not a top five pick. You trade up and then you work out Jared Goff. And I remember this from, I think, a Mike Silver article that ran on like NFL.com, whipping reins, like the scene was set and Jeff Fisher lays eyes on him and sees him throwing in the rain when they said, maybe we should postpone it. And Goff says, no, let me throw today in horrible weather. And he just like, can't miss. You were there that day, right? Were you present? Yeah, I remember landing in Oakland you know, and into a driving rainstorm, we go to the hotel and we're like, you know, we, we can postpone this until, cause it was early March, mm-hmm. you know, we hadn't even made the trade really at that time. We just thought we might. Um, and so we went to work out Carson Wentz and Jared Goff on back to back days and it's pouring rain. We're like, we'll do this another time. We'll come back. And I think you have to go back in time. I think there was something about Jared having small hands at the combine. Yeah. He was, he was one of the initial, you know, Kenny Pickett, small hands guys. And so, <laughs> you know, the rain and all this, and he's like, no, I want to go throw. And so, so we go throw and he's on the field. Now I'm, you know, I was a little bit of a wimp after like the first 10 minutes. Yeah, I went go inside. Of course. I, I went and stood in the tunnel and watched, um, yeah. but he's driving the ball. He's throwing it great. And you walked away from, from that experience being like, okay, like this guy can, can throw it, you know, great leader, great personality. You just connected with him and, you know, fearless. And I think that was always the one thing about Jared. There was never a challenge he thought that was was too big. And you look at what he did at Cal, turn that f- program around for, I think, 0-11 to mm-hmm. get in them in the Armed Forces Bowl. He comes to the Rams. We go from 4-12 and destitute to in the Super Bowl. 
You look at what he's done at Detroit. This is a person who knows how to turn franchises around. I, I, I think about golf and it's like, you know, he, we saw him on Hard Knocks the first year with you guys when William Hayes is talking about dinosaurs. We see him on Hard Knocks the second year when you guys are with the Chargers doing joint Hard Knocks. And then he gets a, a year with the Lions. So it's like we've had three experiences on Hard Knocks. That's like 18 episodes of Hard Knocks. Like, okay, I get the Jared Goff thing. And then this year, I don't know if you saw this, he was doing Thursday night football, the Lions win, they bring him on. And before the Thursday night game, Fitzpatrick said he's a poor man's Matt Ryan, to which Jared Goff went out of his way on the panel and looked at Fitzpatrick and was like, I'm a poor man's nobody. Like, what? And he was, and I'm like, oh, there's some edge to Jared Goff. So he's not this pushover. He's not this guy that just gets a beating in the media and takes it. It was the first time I've seen him publicly respond to some criticism or respond to those saying he can't get over the hump. Did you see that side of Jared Goff? And is that just a side that people take for granted and say, oh, he's just a nice guy and Stafford's got the edge, but Goff doesn't have that in him? Jared has an edge. Like, it may be harder to find. You don't see it every day, but he's competitive, you know, and he believes in himself and he believes in his teammates. And, and I always feel bad. You know, the first hard knocks, I think people went out of their way to portray him as a kind of clueless rookie so that to show, okay, he's far away and he's not going to start. Um, the season. I don't think that that was fair to Jared or, or the narrative. Um, and look, as much as I love hard knocks, you can still have some element of reality TV when you're with a team 24 seven, what you choose to show and what you don't. Mm-hmm. And I always thought that was a really unfair narrative, you know, for him. Um, but I, I think his personality, he's laid back, he's California, you know, and, and people sometimes mistake that for being nonchalant. He's not nonchalant. Um, now he's not, you're, you're high strung either. He, he can be a great balance of, of the two. And I think he's found that mix as he's gone through his career. Where were you for the trade? I remember the stories where McVeigh was in Cabo and he's texting you guys. And then Stafford is also in Cabo and there's not tampering going on because the lions were like, you're open to search for a trade. There's all these different teams involved. And then it goes down and it's like, wow, this is really happening. And I know someone has to make that call to Jared Goff. And this is fresh off a playoff appearance against the Seahawks and a loss in Green Bay. Where were you during all that? And what are your memories of really executing what was at the time considered the trade of the, the decade? We start John Wolford in the wild card game against Seattle. Jared had broken his thumb two weeks earlier uh, in Seattle. John gets a concussion. Jared's got to go back in, you know, eight, nine days after surgery, you know, finds a way to get us to win. We score 31 points, which is unbelievable. We go on the next week to Green Bay, um, play well, but lose. They were the number one seed uh, that year. So we fly home. You kind of go through the end of the year stuff. And, you know, Sean goes to Cabo, uh, runs into Matthew Stafford. That story is kind of well known. But it's really the first weekend we've had off since July. And so you're trying to get a little bit as far away from football. Yeah. And you still have the conference championship games that, that weekend. But you're trying to take a break from football. Your family hasn't seen you. And I really remember about 8 a.m. that morning, you know, Les Sneed, our GM, had talked to Brad Holmes. And he said, this thing could go down today. So I hunkered down in my home office, you know, all day and, you know, kind of just progressed throughout the day. And you're like, I thought this would take two to three weeks. It's happening, you know, post Super Bowl, you know, we're, you know, Hey, you go to the Super Bowl this day, you know, and and I think one of the things that happened is there was a report Friday afternoon that we were interested in Stafford because it had come out to the lines that were giving them the permission to have a trade. And at that time, and still, I think we work so quickly, last Sean, our organization, 
that all the teams that were kind of sniffing around Stafford at the time, Washington, Carolina, Indianapolis, uh, got aggressive. And that really drove the trade. Um, and, you know, once that happened, it was going to be within 24 hours. And so, you know, less at 8 a.m., you go to sit in your home office. And I think the trade got done at 6.45 p.m. Yeah, done. Uh, and then Stafford comes along. And now what does this mean, you think, for Matthew? Have you spoken to him this week going back to Detroit where he played for, what is it, 13 seasons? He was a he was a Detroit Lion. And then he comes over to the L.A. Rams, wins a Super Bowl. And now he's going back there to hopefully, for you guys, spoil their first home game in 30 years in the playoffs. You know, I, I haven't asked him about it. I'm sure no one will ask Matthew at all this week yeah. about. Yeah, I'm sure it's not a topic. To, not a topic. You know, but I, I think it's probably different for him, right? Like you get traded to Los Angeles, you win a Super Bowl, two playoff appearances in, in three years. He, you know, you go back to 2021. He had the monkey on his back of couldn't win a playoff game. He hasn't won a playoff game. Then he wins four. I think he's now the second leading quarterback behind like Patrick Mahomes in terms of playoff wins. Is that right? Joe Flacco? Joe, Joe Flacco may now have him beat, right? Like yeah. I, I didn't. That wasn't in my, you know, bingo card a month ago, but, <laughs> um, you know, I, I think for Matthew, it's going to be the, you know, probably the weight of the expectations from his time in Detroit and, and trying to go flip that franchise. Um, but I think probably from a Rams perspective, I would imagine this is probably a little bit harder for Jared than it is for Matthew, just from my perspective of, Hey, you got to go win the playoff game. You got to go advance in the playoffs. You know, I mean, I think you know, there will be talk this week who won the trade. Um, and I think it's a true, I said, you know, it's a win-win. We won the Super Bowl. Matthew's done a great job for us. We're thrilled to have him. I don't think there's anybody else, you know, we'd rather have. Obviously, Jared and the Lions have had great success, not only with Jared, with the picks they got. And I think it's great for once to see a trade in the NFL work out for both sides. Right. You know, and that people don't have to, you know, pick a winner or a loser. But I'm sure for Matthew, it'll be meaningful. I think he said, you know, the hey, once it kicks off, it's football. It'll be interesting. That building will be rocking. You got to know. Oh my gosh. That place is always rocking. And, you know, so 30 years they've been waiting for this moment in prime time. Uh, I can't wait. It'll be an unbelievable atmosphere. Yeah, no, and we'll watch it. And Tariko, who lives in Ann Arbor, Michigan, is going to be on the call. Like, there's a lot of cool symmetry here between the two franchises. On this podcast, as you know, we talk to coaches, we talk to GMs. There's also this other wrinkle. Brad Holmes, who's the general manager and the architect of this amazing Lions roster, he comes from the Rams also. And you guys helped nurture him. And we had him on the podcast. And he has nothing but glowing stories about his time working under Lesson in L.A. I mean, how impressed are you with what Brad's done in Detroit? So impressed. And, you know, what I love about Brad is, you know, and it's great for people to remember this time of year when everybody's throwing around candidate names. Nobody was talking about Brad Holmes, you know, in 2021. And really... You know, I remember trying to sell him to the Lions, less trying to sell him to the Lions. You know, the Falcons had a little bit of interest. The Lions really did. And once they interviewed him, they were excited. And what I love about the Lions is they've been built in a fearless manner, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you go against the grain and you draft Jameer Gibbs, you draft, you know, Jack Campbell. You know, they have not just followed what I would call the normal NFL script. And I, I think if there's some piece of DNA Brad Holmes has from the Rams, it's be yourself be different. You know, you can't win in this league following the same blueprint everybody else does. It's impossible. No organization, no team is good enough to do the same things everybody else does and just be better at all of them. You have to pick a lane to go be different. And, and that's what I've loved about how Brad and, you know, and Dan Campbell have built the lines. They've done it 
in a uniquely Lions way. And that's what makes it really hard to play them, to beat them, to compete with them because they're zigging when everybody else is zagging. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, if anything was the foot, the, the Rams was, well, you know, F these, F these picks. And it was like, let's go get these veterans for years. And then for Brad Holmes, to your point, drafting a running back and an inside linebacker with two first round picks was F your draft guide. And I, I love that about them. And the fact that they hired Dan Campbell, who was a tight ends coach and wasn't exactly the first in line as the hot new coordinator. And he's been perfect for them. Um, top to bottom, I know you respect a bunch of franchises. You have to as the Rams are looked at as one of the crown jewel franchises in the NFL and how they've been built and how you guys have operated, you've got to look at Detroit and say they're right there too. When you look at what Detroit's done and, you know, I think starts with Sheila and kind of trusting, you know, from Rod Wood, Mike Disner, who I think is one of the smartest executives in the NFL. I love Brad. You know, I, I probably like everybody else in the world. I didn't know what to make of Dan Campbell at the time he got hired. Yeah. Uh, but having done coaching searches, people always spoke, reverentially about Dan Campbell and, you know, what they've built, what they've done, obviously Ben Johnson. I really like Aaron Glenn, you know, always done a nice job. Like they have a really good, solid franchise. Um, and I think when you, you know, what their success is not just because they've had picks, it's because, you know, they had a plan, they went and executed. And that's what you love to see in the NFL is when someone says, okay, we've got a plan, we're going to go build it, whether it's patient or not. And, Look, I think you get back to where we started this show. The great part about right now is there are 14 teams that are in the playoffs with hope. There are also a whole 10 other franchises probably now that their fans have hope for the first time in months. Hey, we have a high draft pick. We're getting a new coach. We're getting mm -hmm. a new GM. You, most of the league right now is in the hope phase, and that's the best phase of the NFL. And you know the, the Rams story you know, from 2016 on, you know, when we were one of the worst franchises you know, on the field in the NFL – and the Lions, that's what makes fans, that's what makes the NFL the best product. How quickly you can turn it and become one of the special franchises in the league. All right, let's go back to 2016. Uh, Fisher's fired midway through the season. Golf finishes it out. Who was the interim coach? Bones, Bones, Stop, uh, John, Bones Fossil? John Fossil, yeah. Okay, so John Fossil. And now you're starting from scratch. You're new in LA. And you've got to go on a coaching search. And right now there are seven teams who are about to start their coaching search. You guys looked at this thing, having done it already, when you got Fisher a couple of years back. Take us through the coaching search and how you ended up with Sean McVay, a 30-year-old head coach coming to Los Angeles. Yeah, I think it really starts with you have to go back to the coaching search in, you know, in 2012. So I, when I got to the Rams, I was hired a couple of weeks after they'd hired Steve Spagnuolo, who I love and you know, would love to see get another head coaching opportunity. When we made the change uh, with Steve after three years, I remember writing a note to myself don't wait until, you know, black Monday, hmm. you know, when you, because there's so much craziness that happens at the end of the season and you find yourself behind in the coaching search. And to be fair, you can't call, you can't really do homework and other people. You can't, you got to be all in for your current staff. And so I remember that note. So as it got to the point, you know, we had started three and one in 2016, had a pretty good start. And then, you know, we were four and 10, four and 11, you know, we decided to make the change. I remember with Jeff, we were going to go play the Seahawks on a Thursday night football. Okay. And if he had lost that game, he would have set the NFL record for losses. And, you know, we just kind of said, I don't think it's fair to him to break the record for losses. Hmm. And you also don't want to go into a Thursday night where the whole conversation is, you know, are they making a change? What are they going to do? How is this going to go? And so we made the change on a short week. But what that really did is that gave us a month hmm. to really investigate our franchise, 
you know, when you change a head coach, everybody just blames the coach. It is an organizational failure. Really go dig into your franchise. What's working? What's not? What's on the coaches? What's on the organization? What's on the personnel side? You know, what do you need to fix to get ready? But also to go do a deep dive on all of these coaching candidates, because you may go in with a leader, mm-hmm. um, you know, at the time and what you want to do, but you're going to go meet people. You're going to go investigate people. And so we made calls, you know, really for a month. It was myself, Les Need, Tony Pasteur, who works with us, just doing as much homework as we can on, on candidates. And, you know, I would say, you know, we started with a list that was 40 or 50 people just trying to get information. And, you know, you try to whittle it down, whittle it down so that when you get to this phase, you know, the post Black Monday, when you can start to do interviews, that you, you know, hey, these are the eight to 10 people we really want to talk to, we have the most interest in. And it's not just guessing because, you know, you get these calls uh, out of the blue, you, you make a change and you would be amazed who calls, right? You know, and you're talking like a random college coach that you never thought would even be available is like, hey, I'm interested. Yeah. You know, like, you know, Vince Lombardi's ghost and yeah. Bo Schembechler, <laughs> you know, you know, Eric Parsegan are like, hey, you know, I haven't coached in 20 years, but, but you know, I you're like ch- LA. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you have to go back in time to, you know, we were new in LA. We had all this fanfare and we just stunk. I mean, we were the 32nd offense. We were four and 12 and, you know, a fan base felt like it was dwindling. People thought we needed to make a big splash. And I think there was an element of us that we definitely thought about that, but it's like, okay, go through and find the coach who, who is the best fit for your organization at this time. You know, winning the press conference is great. Selling tickets is great, but if it doesn't work and you're back here in two to three years, you've already screwed up. Mm-hmm. And if you could find someone you could really grow with and, you know, who would be uniquely ours, you, you would go through that. And that was kind of the guiding principle. And I give Stan Kroenke, our owner, a ton of credit who understood the pressure, you know, about to build a stadium. You got to go sell seat licenses and suites. But, you know, he had always had this belief that, hey, let's go get the right coach for the LA Rams. And, you know, so we had that month to do homework and, you know, I'm not ashamed. You and I chatted during that month and it's like, you're trying to pick everybody's brain. You know, what do you know about these candidates? And one of the things we did, and one of the reasons you and I would always talk is, you know, media members who sit in production meetings with coaches. Talk about it. It was one of the way we called every, you know, network person we knew. Tell us who makes you sit up straighter in your chair. Tell us who grabs your attention. Because they talk to coordinators every week and they talk to coordinators. That to me was a way to find out a little bit more beyond you know, and everybody kind of said, you know, Sean McVay, Sean McVay. And we would ask a question at the end of every conversation. Who's, who's the coach nobody's talking about who's going to be a superstar? And I would say 90% of the time, the answer was Sean McVay. And who are you talking when you ask that? Like, I don't think it's, it's, you talk to me about this. Probably I would imagine other guys in the media, like Schefter probably got asked. Yeah. And then all the, all the guys who call the games, probably Aikman. Yeah. I talked to Joe Buck, Al Michaels, Mike yeah. Tirico, you know, who at the time was at ESPN. You know, Gruden at the time, Collinsworth, we talked to all of them, you know, just to get a, get a sense. And then you, you go through your normal channels, you know, we were fortunate. We picked the brains of, you know, some of our, our legends, you know, as well, you know, we made calls to, you know, successful P- GMs who had done the search and kind of, you know, the Tony Dungeons of the world, just to get a sense when you have time, mm-hmm. you can make, you can be thorough. Um, that's where Sean's name came up every time. And everybody go in two to three years, he's going to be great. Down the line, he'll be great, but not yet, but down the line. And I'm thinking to myself, well, two to three years, if we're doing the search again, it's not me, it's someone else, right? Like yeah. we're all fired. And, you know, and so we moved Sean kind of to the top of our curious list. 
And, and I remember vividly, they were at the time they were supposed to be the sixth seed. They go into the Giants. This is the Washington Redskins. They had a week 17 game against a Giants team that had nothing to play for, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, not, nothing to play for. Um, I think the Giants already clinched. That was, I want to say that's the year they went this on the boat. The, the boat trip. This is the boat yeah, trip the boat game. Trip. Yeah, but they eliminated the Redskins in that win. So they eliminate the Redskins and they score seven points. And, you know, that put Detroit into the playoffs. Yep. And at the time... We were looking, I think, at both Detroit coordinators. Uh, and so now they can't interview that week, and Sean comes available. We were expecting Meanwhile, Sean Sean's coming off a seven-point effort against yeah. a meaningless Giants team. Not exactly something you say to the local fan base, hey, look what we just got. Correct. And you know, the local fan base, by the way, thinks you know, we're going to hire Bill Walsh as head coach. Yep. And... You know, Mike Shanahan is offensive coordinator. <laughs> yeah. Nick Saban is defensive coordinator. And you know what? We'll let Belichick do special teams. Like that was their vision for, you know, what the 2017 LA Rams were going to do. And, and so I remember we flipped it. I called Sean Monday morning and I said, hey, you know, and he and I had been together on staff in Tampa in 2008. But if we had talked five times, yeah. that might that might be a lot. Um, and I said, want to get you out to LA for an interview Wednesday or Thursday? And he's like, I scored, you know, typical Sean, I scored seven points yesterday. You know, are you want me? <laughs> Why are you calling me? And, you know, so we got him lined up and, you know, we had five or six interviews in LA that week and he comes out Wednesday and you go in to that meeting saying, how on earth can we hire a 30 year old head coach? And I would say, you walk out being, how on earth do we not hire that guy? Yes. And so we, you know, he crushes the interview. Um, and we kind of look at him and say, Hey, can you stay? we called Jared Goff and we were like, Hey, can you come meet, you know, with Sean and they come meet, they headed off. Sean's brought his computer. He's showing film of Jared and what they can do together. So then we're like, well, we got to do something else. So, you know, we kind of keep him in town. We take him to dinner with all of our wives and, you know, just you hit it off, but he was number five in the search and you still wanted to go do kind of the thorough search. We flew to new England. We met with both Josh McDaniels and Matt Patricia we flew to Florida and finished with Anthony Lynn and, and Doug Marone, you know, and, and the thing is at the time, no one else had interviewed Sean, right? So you kind of feel like you've got this yeah. you know, gem, gem no one's talking about. <laughs> and then, you know, so I remember Sunday night, we finished with, you know, the interview, you know, in Florida. And I, at that time, the Niners decide they're going to interview Sean. And his grandpa was the GM there. You're like, oh, yeah. You know, and you know, you kind of, you kind of keep track of all of this. And so I call him and I said, Hey, I want you to come back out to LA, uh, meet with the owner and all of us again. I said, I know you're interviewing with the Niners tomorrow. Do well, but not too well, mm -hmm. you know, and whatever you do, do not accept a job on the spot. So we're flying back on Monday and we're flying back in texting him. Are you out of the meeting? Hey, what time? Can we Three hours, four hours, nothing. And I'm fuming. We're on this yeah. plane. And and I'm looking at Les and Tony, and I'm I'm losing my. How do we let him? How do we let him leave the building? Yeah, I, I'm I'm losing my. Right, like I can't believe we just didn't offer this to him. You know, we should have done this. And what was crazy about the search was, you know, on the plane ride, we'd now done our ten interviews, and we're comparing notes. We all had Sean number one. Mm. We all had different number twos and threes. Mm -hmm. So the backup plan wasn't even unanimous. We didn't have a backup plan. Like we were like, what do we do if he says no? And we're like. We finally, we stop in Texas um, mm. to refuel and finally get a hold of him. 
And he's like, I crushed them. I'm like, you still on the plane? He's like, oh yeah, I'll see you, you know, tomorrow. And so now, but the crazy part about this too, is we land back in LA and I go to dinner that night with our understand Kroenke and he's owned multiple teams, had great success, but he's always had veteran head coaches. Yeah. So you think about Arsene Wenger at Arsenal, legendary coach, George Carl, Jeff Fisher, you know, Joel Quenville, like, and you go through all the sports and you're like, Hey, I really think the best person is this 30 year old you've never heard of who just lost to the giants in week seven. Who just lost to the giants. In the yeah. Isn't playing in the playoffs. And we're watching the Clemson, Alabama national championship game and Hunter Renfro and Deshaun Watson score. And I'm like, look, we'll go to dinner tomorrow to, to do it. And what I, what I also remember at the same time, we get back to LA and, uh, I walk back in the office and Joanna Hunter, who works for us, um, who, who helps run our communications along with artist Twyman. She's like, you know, you, everybody thinks you, Tony and Les are morons mm. and you've never won anything. And you're running this coaching search and everybody else is hiring consultants. And now there are all these rumors. You want to hire a 30 year old. Like, do you guys know what you're doing? I love this. And I'm like, I think we do, but maybe not. And she's like, you know, you should get some other validation before you do this. And so I sit down and I think, you know, all right. I love that Joanna is is in the office and she's like, someone's got to be a voice of reason here. And anybody who knows Joanna, she's always the voice she'll of reason. She'll tell you. She'll yeah, tell she'll, you. Yeah. You know, and, and so she goes, what about someone like Marshall Falk? And I'm like, Marshall thinks we should hire a veteran coach. So I call him and I'm like, no, no, I'm not going to do this. And like, we all do our best thinking in the shower the next morning. I'm showering. I'm like, you know what? She's right. So I call Marshall. I'm like, Hey, we're going to dinner tonight. Stan, myself, Sean, would you join? And he goes, Oh, I'd love to. He goes, but you should hire a veteran coach. Like you need offense. You do this. I'm like, that's why you're perfect. You don't believe in this guy. Mm -hmm. So we, and you know, there's been a lot made, you know, the Spago story has been written. That's after the fact, right? Or is that, that's the, that's the next night. So Okay. So we go to dinner and, and Marshall was walking in and he's telling Stan like, Hey, I really appreciate coming, but like, I don't believe in this kid, whatever, you know, Sean and Marshall knock it out of the park. They hit it off right away. Yeah. And, and they took two of the smartest football people you ever meet. Oh, right Marshall now. Falk is brilliant. You listen to talk football, Marshall Falk, like he, he could be an NFL head coach right now yeah. if he wanted to be. Yeah. And he, he walks out of dinner and he turns to Stan and he goes, if you got, you let that guy leave the building, you know, shame on you. Oh, and that's, you know, that's how we wound up hiring Sean. But I would tell you, like, running a coaching search are the two most grueling weeks probably of your life. Um, and I'm so glad the NFL has now stretched out the calendar to allow for better decision-making because it, it is really hard and intense and a, and a drain on your organization. But the one thing, you know, that you go through, you meet all these people, you get a chance to build all these, yeah. you know, great relationships. Um you know, and, and I'll tell a funny story. Coach, we saw this year at one point, we interviewed in our head coaching search who kept calling uh, Tony Pastores, who works with us. He kept calling him by the wrong first name the whole interview. Can and you we share never stopped. No, I won't. I, I won't. And we never stopped him. And so now every time we see this coach, he walks over and he's like, hey, Kevin, he goes, great to see you, Paul. That's what he, he called Tony Paul the whole time. Um, and we have a relationship for 20 and, and, years. And by the way, this coach still finished in our top three kind yeah. of across the board, yeah. like great dude. And, and so, you know, you, you get all these stories and you meet all these people and you go through it, but you also learn so much about your building. I remember one coach who we interviewed was not the same one asked us a question and he goes, Hey, when I get in your building after you hire me, who am I going to find out is the problem that you didn't tell me about? 
Yeah, good question. And it blew us all away. And we actually left that meeting. We all kind of stumbled our way through the answer because you don't want to like tell someone there. And we wound up making two changes the following week as a result of that question. Yeah, if you have a unanimous answer, that person's toxic for the building. But that's thanks for putting the mirror on us. Yeah. And those are the elements, I think, when you have a coaching search and you make a GM change, that you actually have to be pretty introspective about like, are you setting the next coach up for success? Or are you just hoping that they're a miracle worker who can fix everything that was wrong before? No, usually the issue is in your building and the coach is emblematic of that more than it's just the coach themselves. You mentioned the, the Spago story, which might be legendary lore in our circles, but the listener might not know it. Can you share us the Spago story? Yeah, so so we go to Spago, and, uh, which is a restaurant in Beverly Hills. Um, Wolfgang Pock is the owner, chef, famous, you know, one of probably the first star celebrity you know, chef. chef. Yeah, and, and so he comes by the table and he knows Stan pretty well. Um, and he goes, Stan, we got to hire a coach. You know, who are we hiring? I'm so excited. I'm such a fan. And Sean's sitting right there. And he, he's like, oh, Marshall Falk, that's great. Nice to meet you. He's looking at Sean like he's the intern. And, you know, he's asking, he's like, he's like, I hear we may get any rattles off a bunch of big names. Yeah. And like, and Sean's sitting right there, probably shrinking back in his chair, you know. And so we're just kind of laughing. We go through it. Uh, Fergie and Josh Duhamel come walking by. Yeah. We're like, hey. Who are we going to hire? Like, and he's at here. the table. Has he, even, at the, has he already accepted the job or no? No, we haven't even offered it to him. This is like his final interview. Oh my God. I've been in these rooms where, everyone, where everyone's looking at everyone else but you. I understand where Sean's feeling yeah. here. You know, and, you know, so we go through this night and then, you know, Sean tells the story even better than anybody, but we get to the end of the night, like Sean crushes it. Yeah. And so we go to the hotel. He and Stan are staying across the street and he's expecting Stan to be like, hey, you crushed it. You're my guy. Like, let's go do this. And Stan's like, all right, great. I'll see you tomorrow. Like, yeah, no, no insurance. No, no insurance. Sean, Sean wakes up the next day and he's like, he's laying in bed. He's like, you know, you got a good job in Washington. You're a coordinator. And the rest is, is history. And, you know, so grateful to have him. But, you know, I, I still, it's hard for me to believe that was seven years ago. Crazy. It feels like yesterday. I remember being in Atlanta because I was doing a playoff game, Seahawks versus Falcons. I was the sideline reporter. And I remember talking to Sean from his vantage point going into those meetings. And I think you guys had them staying at like the four seasons in Westlake village, maybe, or it was maybe the Chateau Mormont. It was some fancy hotel. And he was impressed because he's like, they told me I could order anything from room service for free. And I'm like, I love this about you. Like you're he's 30 years old, never been treated like this. And like, you guys really rolled out the red carpet, but he had no idea he was getting offered that job. No, I mean, I think he knew he had crushed it both times. And there, there's no one more self-confident in a positive way than Sean McVeigh. But, you know, you got to go convince the owner who's like, I'm really going to go trust the future of my franchise in LA. This bet that I've made, SoFi Stadium, moving a team on a 30-year-old. And, you know, I would say the, the history of the Rams can be written by Stan Kroenke making the two biggest bets in the NFL the past decade. Hey, I'm going to go build a stadium in LA and go for it. And I'm going to go hire a 30-year-old head coach. And, you know, we we're fortunate enough to hoist a Lombardi Trophy in SoFi Stadium, Super Bowl 56. You know, those two bets came to fruition. I said to start this thing, you're the 30,000-foot guy for me. You look at the entire league as a whole, but you also know pretty much every piece of the organization. Here's a question I have. When these coaches are interviewing and they say, yeah, my defensive coordinator is going to be this guy and my offensive coordinator is going to be that guy, is there a budget for that? Or is it like, how does that work with a team? Or is that team specific? I know it's very in the weeds, but as these coaches are all interviewing right now, they come in with a plan. 
But maybe the 20-year defensive coach has a different price tag than the assistant who is, you know, three years into his NFL career. Well, the really funny part is if you do 10 of these, eight of them say their defensive coordinator is going to be the same guy. Same guy, right? <laughs> right. So you, you do the meet, you do the interview in the morning and they're like, you know, hey, you know, Raheem Morris is going to be my defensive coordinator. And you're like, okay, like I kind of like Raheem. Like that's a great addition. Then you do the interview the next day and like, hey, and I've talked to Raheem Morris. He wants to be my DC. And then you realize it's all, you know, that part you have to throw out. Like, and, and even now when I advise coaches to interview, I'm like, don't, don't talk about names because you don't know if you can get them, the salaries, the budgets, the competition. They go, talk about your vision for what you want each coach to be. Hey, my defense coordinator, do they play an attacking style? Are they blitzing or do they play more, you know, three, four, four, three, you know, offense? Are we a play action team? Are we a deep shot team? Are we a run heavy team? And then say, the guys who fit that are this, you know, walk through, you know, your vision for each coaching position because the names, you know, you might get enamored with a name, yeah. whether the coach can deliver them or not, you have no clue. Uh-huh. And, you know, especially, you know, you might make the last hire, you might hire someone after the Super Bowl, and that coach has said, you know, hey, I can't wait. I got to take a sure thing. Um, that's really the hard part, you know, when you go through these conversations. Now, I will remember, you know, when Sean interviewed, he said, well, hey, he Wade, brought, Phil- who, Wade Phillips, Wade, guy, Wade right? Phillips is going to be, so we called Wade Phillips, you know, <laughs> during the break. It, and is he for like, or is he real? <laughs> is Sean full of shit? And he's like, oh no, Wade loves Sean. You know, he'd love to go. And sure enough, like I, it's a great credit to Sean and where he was at 30. He got everybody he listed. That first staff was who? It was Wade. It was Joe Barry. It was on offense. LaFleur Lef- first or no? Yeah. Matt LaFleur. Yeah, uh, was Zach the Taylor or he came on after? Zach, Zach Taylor was our assistant wide receivers coach. Think about that. Yeah. So that staff had Shane Waldron was our tight ends coach. The OC in Seattle right now. No, the OC. Aaron Cromer was the line coach. Now the OC, you know, kind of the assistant OC in, in Buffalo. Then you had Matt LaFleur. Um, trying to think of QB coach was uh, Greg Olson, who's now, yep. who's now in Seattle and went on to become the Raiders. You know, OC. Under I mean, Gruden, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, just that staff, you know, on the offense, they've all gone on to, you know, to great things. But you think about like our basically quality control coach is now one of the best head coaches in the NFL and, and Zach Taylor. And then you go to defense, you had, you know, Joe Barry, you had Wade Phillips, Bill Johnson, Aubrey Pleasant, uh, Ajiro Evero. You know, I mean, just like great, great staff. Out of the gates. That's such a test. I mean, think about that. This is a 30 year old coach. And convinced John Fossil to stay, which was, you know, a great, you know, someone who had been the interim coach who had great opportunities. So like 30-year-old coach put together a great staff. But, you know, everybody's got a budget for assistant coaches. You don't, re- it's, but it's kind of like a salary cap, right? No matter what it is, you're going to pay the most, get, go get the defensive coordinator. Hey, maybe I won't spend as much on the linebackers coach. Go get the OC tight ends coach. I can fudge a little bit. You know, it, it is no different than that. You know, you, you go with the people that are the foundational pieces and and you want to make sure you get the coach, you know, everything you can. And, and like all budgets, you know, they usually go over sheepishly and, and you kind of just let them do it. It's no secret that uh, Sean's a friend and I've been a fan of Sean's. There's no secret that guys like Kingsbury and Sala and Hackett, I've got great relationships with, but if there's one guy in the league that I'm rooting to have success and get another shot at a head coaching position, it's your current defensive coordinator, Raheem Morris, I see that he's been asked to interview at a few places. You see Ra every single day there in the building. Make the case for Raheem Morris, NFL head coach. One of the best leaders and culture builders I've ever been around. 
Wow. And, and I was with Raheem in Tampa. Um, but this is the guy who makes your building better. He's the glue guy who brings everybody together, your equipment staff, your training staff, your PR, the building, and the guy can coach. Like, and I think, you know, I start with the culture and, you know, leader because, you know, that's what you see every day. I look at this year's defense, you know, PFF had us rated 39th, I think, on defense coming into the year. You know, everybody just killed, you know, we had national media show up to camp and like, it's like major league, like, who are, who these, are guys? these guys? Willie Mays you know, is in the outfield. Yeah, yeah. yeah the groundskeeper is sitting there, you know, <laughs> you know, can't say it, you know, <laughs> you know, these guys are blank, you know, and, you know, it's Aaron Donald and 10 nobodies. And we come out of the gate and we shut out Seattle in the second half, holding 13 points. And, you know, we've had five shutout halves this year. I think the defense finished 17th, 18th, made impact plays, brought, I mean, Kobe Turner should win defensive rookie of the year. You know, nine sacks from an interior position, third round pick. Byron Young, number two in sacks as an outside linebacker. Both rookies, unbelievable. Both rookies are starting Darian Kendrick and Russ Yeast at safety. I mean, Christian Roseboom, guys we had hopes for, but nobody's heard, Sure, you know, of these guys and turn them into a unit. And, you know, look, where I get frustrated, and this isn't a knock, uh, I'm a big Brandon Staley fan. Mm-hmm. And Brandon did an amazing job for us in 2020, you know, led the league in defense. Um, you know, but we go to the playoffs, and we give up 500 yards to Green Bay in the divisional round. And we get 44 slips for Brandon Staley as head coach, and he can have his pick of jobs in 2021. <laughs> Raheem Morris wins the Super Bowl, you know, nine sacks in the second half. Yep. You know, we have this year, and you're fighting to get people to interview. And, you know, to me, that's just where the system, you know, is a little bit broken in, in our world. And you get in a room with Raheem, and he was fortunate enough to get pretty deep with the Colts you know, last year, but he has a vision for how he wants to play football, how he wants to lead. You know, I, w- I left Tampa the year he got the head coaching job. And, you know, I would say he took that team to 10 wins and with Josh Freeman and a bunch of guys, no one knew. And they went 10 games. And, you know, from 2008 until Tom Brady showed up, that franchise never won double digits. Mm. Raheem Morris had their only double digit season. He goes to Atlanta as the interim coach. You know, does a great job. Beat, I think, holds Patrick Mahomes to his lowest total, you know, of the year during. I remember that in Arrowhead, yeah, in, in, in Arrowhead. And so I think you you have this dynamic coach, you know, who who has learned under, and not to say Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, Dan Quinn, Mike Tomlin, John Gruden, Monty Jay Kiffin. Gruden. I mean, Jay Gruden. I mean, like Mike Shanahan. Like he has been with the pantheon, you know, of coaches. He'll he'll go crush it. You know, Kyle Shanahan says if he had, if you were telling an owner the first person. I saw this. So I'll be honest. The the quote was, if an owner was to ask me, the first person who they should hire as a head coach is Raheem Morris. And that's not a staff member on his team. I saw Mike Tomlin came out and had a very public statement about, you're talking about the luminaries of the NFL right now. McVay, Shanahan, and Tomlin all say that he's the guy. So what, what are we doing? Yeah, no. And I think that to me is, you know, I'm hopeful this cycle and, but look, let's also be honest. He's got an amazing opportunity Sunday night. Ben Johnson mm-hmm. right now is the cream of the crop. $15 million man. And, you know, so, you know, I am hopeful and not just that we go win the game, but what a great opportunity for us as a team to go in, but it's certainly also for, for Raheem, for, for this defense to go have a shot at, you know, one of the hottest coordinators. And, and I am hopeful that that will be, you know, just, one case for him that, that people can make uh, coming out of Sunday night. And, you know, I, I am hopeful we walk 
you know, off that field at Ford Field on Sunday that everybody says Raheem Morris is the guy I got to have as our head coach. I love that. I'm going to wrap with you soon, but I've got a couple other things for you. I hope that's okay. Can we just wrap yeah, no. a couple more things? I love this. Rapid um, fire. Let's go. Let's go. But more of this being a pitch to Hollywood studios and to a very saturated sports doc community. I mean, I don't, there might not be a sports story that hasn't had a documentary made about it in the last five years. Streamers. Hello. Uh, Kevin, we have talked about this stage in your career where you, you jumped at a, a entrepreneurial opportunity in the boom of the internet in your early to mid twenties. Can you explain the story and the pool of talent that you had around you and you guys just being a little early on what feels like what could have been the Facebook of sports? Yeah, I know. So my first job out of college was a company called broadband sports, um, which was, I would say today it would be an amalgamation of the athletic Bleacher Report, SB Nation, Roto World, and maybe the Players Tribune. So we had a bunch of player websites. So you could go to, you know, Kobe Bryant.athletesdirect.com. Um, we did, we built team websites for the Cowboys and the Raiders, which is one of the ways I got my introduction in the NFL. You know, we we built home pages for if you went to go look up Los Angeles Rams on AOL. That was all of our our work and, and our content. You know, we did you have a staff hire. that would like that would write the articles, or it was you guys? We did a little that. bit, and we outsourced, and we you know, AP. But like, I remember we tried to hire Adam Schefter from the Denver Post. I remember him right? coming. In. Oh yeah, from you know, from the offices, and you know, we we wound up doing all of these crazy things. And so this was based out of LA. It was an internet company, and it would make individual sites. But were you guys licensed by the NFL, or it was all just so we like- were getting licensed by the NFL and by the Players Association, and. You know, this is the time when we did the Cowboys, we paid them for the right to do their website with this idea that, you know, we would go sell, you know, merchandise and ads and content around it. And, you know, this is the height of the dot-com boom. So I was the 30th employee in. What year is um, this? 1999. I love um, this, dude. All right. And, you know, three months, you know, four months later, we're in brand new offices in Santa Monica. We're 300 employees. We're the number two IPO on Wall Street uh, behind Krispy Kreme. Yep. And I think I turned down a job and you and I have talked at Fox sports yep. and they gave me an extra like 50,000 shares. And I'm thinking this is the greatest thing on earth. Who's at this crew in broadband? No. So, and it wound up being, you know, Mark Silverman who now helps run Fox went to the big 10 yep. network was, was one of my bosses. Uh, John Collins who went on to the NFL and now I think owns the Islanders, you know, was one, you know, you can kind of go through the list of, of talent. Um, that have shown up in, in all kinds of crazy places. Uh, I left three months later, there were 300 people. Nine months later, they were out of business. So tell me how it goes down because everyone knows pets.com, but like literally, how does it bust? I, you know, well, I remember, so we get the AOL deal and they, they pull us into this. We had this big fancy room called the Athletes Lounge that they had built that no athletes ever went into, but it, <laughs> it was a really cool space. Hypothetically, uh, there's beanbag yeah. chairs and a yeah, ping pong uh, yeah, table. Correct. Um, and they do this meaning they're like, hey, and I had kind of worked on this secret project on team pages for a while. And they said, hey, AOL is going to take our content. And I remember walking out next to some guy and I'm like, I'm 22. I was a history major. I'm like, I don't know anything about business. I'm like, oh, how much is AOL paying us? And like, no, we're paying them 17 million a year for the right to do this. I go, why? We're doing all the work. That doesn't make sense. That was my first hint that, you know, hey, th- this may not be, you know, the soundest financial model. So, <laughs> you know, you know, we're, we're right up there with pets.com. And so. You know, my, my hundred thousand shares that I have, you know, are worth as much of, you know, as those bobbleheads behind you. 
<laughs> All right, so you're 22, and then people don't know that in between that and your time in the NFL, there was a amazing time in the Arena Football League. Yeah, I went to, so I wound up leaving broadband sports to go to the Los Angeles Avengers who played at Staples Center. They're an expansion franchise. And in KC Wasserman, who people know now, who owns Wasserman Media and Sports Group and has done great and is you know, CEO of LA 28 and the Olympics, he, he started an expansion team in the Arena League with this idea maybe he could ultimately own the NFL LA team, just an experience. And so get recruited to go over there. They're put in the CBA. We kind of hit it off and um, go join the Arena League for four years. Which was what, such was the job? what was the job with the Arena League team? Basically GM, kind of. Yeah, at 20, 23 years old. 23. And, you know, what was so cool about the Arena League is it's the same job as today. Just nobody knew who we were, you know, far less zeros. You know, you'd go to renegotiate a player contract and you had to go to their house and you're trying to get them to go from 25,000 to 28, yep. you know, and, you know, I remember this one story we go to, we had a player who played for us, who got an offer from Canada and we were paying him 26,000. He got an offer from Canada for 30,000. Yeah. And he's like, well, you got a match. I'm like, well, is it an American or Canadian? I need to know the currency. And he goes, I don't know. And he goes, calls back and goes, Canadian. I go, well, that's less money than we're <laughs> offering you. And he goes, well, you still got a match. You still got to get to, uh, to we'll 30,000. Um, but just such a, you know, we got that team off the ground. We went to the playoffs a number of years, like such a fun experience to, to learn. Football. Do you remember the players yeah. and the coaches' names? Oh, all of them. Still close really? with, you know, a lot of them. Uh, we had Greg Hopkins, who was our big star, who we signed okay. from the Indi Indiana Firebirds, who came to L.A., who actually they they wanted to be the bachelor um after the first season when they before had before Jesse kid, Palmer. Uh so they had Jer with Jeremy Bloom, is that right? Yeah. Or not him? Jesse whoever Palmer. The, whoever the Colorado guy was who Yeah, Jeremy Bloom was a skier. No, no, was Ryan, he on the bachelor? No, yeah, no, it was Ryan and Trista. Yes, okay, Ryan. Yeah. So the so the second one, they're like, great, another football player, arena football in LA. And uh they couldn't convince Greg to do it. We had Chris Jackson, who's now the receivers coach at Texas. I love that. Steve Sarkeesian played in the NFL for a number of years too, is our best receiver. Tony Graziani uh was our quarterback. Falcons quarterback, first, sure. But when I when I first got there, Todd Marinovich really was the quarterback. Oh yeah. What kind of version of Todd Marinovich were you with were you dealing with? He he was talented. Yeah. You know, you could see all of it, but then, you know, I mean, yes. it, it ended poorly. Uh but just like you're like Todd Marinovich. I mean, was Marv Marinovich hanging around? Was he, was he, he not so much, not so no? much at that point, you know, no. but, uh, and that was right at the start of, I think Todd's artist phase, but yep. you know, and then Tony Graziani became our starting quarterback for a number of years and became one of the best quarterbacks in the arena football league. I feel like in LA there's like cult things. Like everyone likes to go see like, you know, in Silver Lake, there's a band or there's a comedy troupe that, you know, you have to go to Largo to see. Was this like kind of like cult cool to like go to the no, football it, teams? It, it, it was not cult cool. We played at the <laughs> Staples Center. All right. You know, so. and, you know, it was it was fun, but it was not cult cool. But one of the cool things about the job was you put T-shirts on seats. I got to hire a head coach at 24, Ed Hodgkiss, who's now a, a really good high school football coach in the South Bay. Okay. I would say... Before there was Sean McVay, Ed Hodgkiss was, he was 24 the, years old. He was probably in his late 20s, but Ed okay. Hodgkiss yeah. was the Sean McVay of the Arena League before there was Sean McVay. I love this. Um, and he he came and turned around our franchise. A great guy named Brent Winter, who went on to become the head coach of the Boise Burn. Um, sure. <laughs> you know, we started two arena minor league arena football teams in Bakersfield and Fresno. I mean, just 
you kind of go through all of it, but it was, uh, it was a joy, but you got to, I mean, I went to the airport and booked, you know, got plane tickets and boarded planes, did the buses, picked up Chipotle yeah. for lunch, did the, did the dry cleaning, you know, but you also got to do the cool stuff, negotiate contracts. You learn every and- facet. Uh, everyone who does, you know, play by play for a minor league team says, yeah, you do literally everything. And then you can go do anything because you've done it. You've done every single part of the organization. I always tell anybody breaking the sports, go to the minor leagues because you'll get to do everything. And you'll learn there's almost not a thing that happens at the Los Angeles Rams right now that I didn't do in my time between the arena league or or Tampa or now at the Rams. So I would say it's the best training ground because rather than going to a big brand where you talk about what someone else did that you, that you helped do a small part of, you actually got to do the thing and you can talk about your experience. Uh, Real quick, rapid fire. We'll do just quick questions and then we'll get you out of here. The first one here, Super Bowl ride, your most fondest memory, the thing that if you wake up in the middle of the night and you just smile, what was it? Which one? The the one we won? The one you won. Yeah, you're hoisting a Lombardi. Super Bowl ride, uh, Cooper Cup's catch. In Tampa? Against In Tampa. Because we're ahead 27-3, right? I mean, almost, you know, 20. And... I get all these texts. They show the the owner suite at halftime, and I look nervous. And, yeah. and everybody's like, "You're up 23. Like, be happy. Look better." And I'm like, "We're playing Tom Brady. Yeah, right. Like, there is no world in which you're ever going to feel good. We get up 27 three, and you're like, okay, like we got this. And then they just, you know, we Cooper Cup fumbles. Can't like that never happens. He's winning, and you blow the whole thing. And they score, and it's 27 all, and the place is rocking. And you're like, oh my god. And Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup connect on a bomb. And, you know, I think you go to enough games in your life where time, you can always tell from the arc of a pass whether it's going to be caught. Yeah. Like, you can do the geometry in your head. Yeah. And you're like, oh, my God. Like, oh, my God. And, you know, we it. get it. You know, we get it. We, you know, we, we throw the ball down. And you're like, we're actually going to go win this game in regulation, which you thought I had no prayer. Um, you kick the field goal and you get in the locker room and just crazy. And one of the cool things about, you know, so that play and then SoFi Stadium and knowing because we already knew the Niners are one, we were coming back from the NFC Championship game. You may know the SoFi Stadium is basically an LED screen. So yeah. on the plane home, you fly right over SoFi Stadium. We had on the roof, we ran the loop of the Stafford to Cup pass oh, that's awesome. for our players to see as they flew in, you know, back to LA for you know, kind of the NFC championship. So I, you know, I remember that, you know, I remember the tip pass that, that won it against, you know, the, the Niners, yeah. you know, all, all, all of that, but to, to win an NFC championship against your, you know, most bitter rival and to win a Super Bowl in your own building, it's all, it's all there, but the Cooper cup pass for sure. You're in LA, a lot of celebrity fans come to these games uh, maybe the most surprising or you know best celebrity story has come into SoFi, whether it be Super Bowl week or whether it be any regular season game that you've had a chance to interact with that you're just like, what is going on here? You know, Super Bowl was crazy in you know that regard, and you kind of get used to. Um, I would say a couple weeks ago we had Shohei Otani for yeah. his first game and like the Thursday night game, right? Thursday night game, and you bring him in the locker room and he's hanging with the players and you know just how wide-eyed he was. And this guy's probably the greatest athlete on the planet right now. I mean, it'd be like if Patrick Mahomes and Micah Parsons were the same player. Yeah. Like, like I mean, you try to think about that, you know, and, you know, so then you, you get to, you know, all of the entertainers and the fun. And then, 
you know, you also get to, you know, the silly things from our generation when, you know, the Sarah Michelle Geller show up and you're like, <laughs> you, you know, you're like, yeah, you're like teenage Kevin's fired up right now. Yeah. You know, it's, awesome. you know. <laughs> it's like when, when Debbie Gibson tweeted at me. Yes. Yeah. You know, but you know, what's so funny. I mean, you talk about memories. I remember we had Warren G play halftime of yeah. a wild card game against Arizona. Plays regularly. Stadium, stadium's rocking. Yeah. Right. And this is before the NFL has done their crazy halftime show, which was awesome. But you know, you, you just, LA is a special place when you get it rolling, you know, but you still magic Johnson, Kareem, you know, the athletes still always, you know, LeBron, they always do well in LA too. All right. Last one. And it's two pronged underappreciated player on the Los Angeles Rams and then underappreciated person in our NFL world that you think deserves some shout out on this podcast. <laughs> uh, underappreciated player in the Los Angeles Rams. I'm going to go with two each side of the ball. Uh, Rob Havenstein. Okay. You know, our right tackle who has been one of the foundational pieces. And you know, he's one of the only guys to have started a Super Bowl with both Jared and Matthew. Like he's just, since we drafted him in 2015, you know, the rock and we're so young on the offensive line. You got a Larry Jackson undrafted third year, Steve Avila first year, Coleman Shelton's third or fourth year, Kevin Dotson's in his fourth year. I mean, Rob Havenstein is that glue. Young. I mean, we're, I think we're the second, you had that great stat about the Packers on good morning football. I think we're the second or third youngest team in football, you know? So Rob Havenstein is kind of that glue of the offense, you know, certainly the offensive line. And then I tell you, Ernest Jones, Mm. um, third year linebacker broke the great in the Super Bowl. Great in the Super Bowl. You know, when you talk about someone who handles it, we signed Bobby Wagner, which kind of lessened his role last year. But I think in terms of, and this is a great life lesson. And I want to say for all millennials and Gen Z, because that's, you know, painting with wide brushes, you know, has a sack and a tip pass in the Super Bowl, knocks away a fourth down ball. We bring in Bobby Wagner, he takes a back seat, huh. but he learns so much from Bobby Wagner as a mentor, as a leader. And you see that paying dividends I love that. this year. And I think for all of us who get jobs young, you, Hey, I'm the man, I can do this. Like, it's great to have mentors, being able to take a step back, take a lesser role, watch someone I mean, you want, you're not going to find a better human being on this earth than Bobby Wagner. I could answer your second question, you know, with, with a Bobby, you know, Wagner shout out. Um, Mm. but, uh, you know, to me, you know, Ernest Jones has been, you know, the heartbeat of this defense is our signal caller and the lifeblood and just someone you love watching grow each day in his third year. I love it. All right. Now in our world, in the NFL, could be another player, could be another coach, could be a league employee, could be an employee at the Rams, someone that maybe doesn't get enough love. And you say, Hey, this guy is really good. Or this gal is really good at what they do. Look, I'm not going to say, uh, anybody at the Rams. Cause I'd have to go 300 deep, you yeah. know, there, you know, I love all my children equally. Sure. Um, and, you know, so you know, I love all our employees equally. I'm going to go off the radar NFL league office, Dave Gardy. Talk about Gardy. You know, one of the, the bedrock has been there forever. You know, someone who knows the rule book inside out when, you know, when you're angry and pissed off on a Monday and, you know, you want to complain about it, officiating or something that the league did, Dave gets the call from all of us and he <laughs> handles it with such grace, right? I mean, I can't think of someone who's MF'd more on, an, on a weekly <laughs> basis than, than Dave Gardy. And he just, he handles it so well. He represents everything that's great about the NFL. And you've had Mike North on all the time. I mean, the choice words I gave Mike North Sunday from the locker room in in San Francisco when they were debating 
Saturday night or Sunday night for, for our game, mm. you know, we, we, we've said, you know, did a couple of times on this podcast. That's nowhere near what that I was. was that was, yeah, that was very or, or actually like, when we got our schedule in May and I'm yelling at Mike North, like Dave Gardy gets on a weekly basis from all 32 of us. You know, he's the person who shows up at game operations. He leads the competition committee, you know, meetings. He works closely with Troy Vincent, just one of those good guys in the NFL who never gets, gets any recognition. And you and I talk about this all the time. You know, one of the things that I, I dislike the most about the NFL is that, you know, one man's downfall is another man's opportunity. And I think that mm-hmm. makes us, you know, a lot catty and, you know, always looking, you know, what team, who's getting fired and does that mean yeah. there's an opportunity? Have you heard of they, are they canning their coach? Yeah. Okay. Well, if so, you know, yeah. we need to be better cheerleaders of, of each other, you know, at all 32 franchises and, you know, the league office. And when, when I say something like that, like Dave, you know, there's so many good people at other teams who deserve shout outs, but Dave Gardy is the first one that comes to mind for me. I love that. Let's wrap with this. I always do this on the podcast. You have a, a an elevator ride at the combine or the senior bowl, or you name it, the league meetings in West Palm or Arizona. And a young man or woman comes in with a resume and a manila folder and they're a junior in college or they're a sophomore in law school or they're just off the street and they heard that there's a big nfl event and this is their opportunity and you get in this elevator and the elevator closes and the young man or woman looks at you and says i'll do anything to get in the nfl what is your advice and you have just the elevator elevator ride to share with them what is your elevator advice for this young man or woman my advice is always the same you know major in whatever you want because it doesn't matter right? You don't have to be a sports management, sports business major. If you, you want to major in Greek philosophy, be my guest, like go be the best version. The first version people see of you all the time is email. Make sure your email is well-written, clear, concise. That's how 95% of the world's going to judge you when you're a first. And it's not like polo sport girl 11 or it's, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and you know, make sure that that's at gmail.com, you know, Go volunteer at your university in yeah. the football office at the athletic department. Don't just tell me you'll do anything. Show me that you've gone work. And I don't care if you go work, you know, selling tickets for, sure. you know, women's soccer, or if you're the right hand to the head football coach, like that doesn't matter to me. I want to see you do that. So I can go talk to someone about your work ethic and your drive. And then finally, if you truly love the NFL, there's so many great ways, whether it's over the cap or PFF or all these sites now. You can go learn some learn of that it. trade and, you know, you can go do it, start a blog, start a podcast. Like there's so many ways when you and I were coming up that you, that you couldn't do this. No. And, and I don't say that, and I'm not going to read your stuff and say like, oh, you have this amazing insight about the offensive line and we're going to go hire you. I just want to know how you think. Yeah. I want to see that you can put it all together, you know, and have that initiative and, and look, be, be bold, be creative. And look, if you decide I want to go work, you know, at a factory or at a tech company or Wall Street, it doesn't mean at 22, your path is, you know, if you don't get in football, if you don't go to sports, it's not driven. Go do what you're passionate about. You will find your way to where you should be. Like, be patient, you know, be optimistic and, you know, don't just take any job. Take the one you really want. Kevin, this is awesome. President of Los Angeles Rams. Uh on the biggest week uh, of the Rams season and certainly the most dramatic wildcard game in a few days. I so appreciate you taking the hour and change to sit with me. Uh, you're great at what you do. And obviously uh, we so appreciate your time, dude. 
It's uh, if we had been talking in May and you had said the Rams were ten and seven in the wild card hunt, I would have said you're damn right we are. So, yeah, yeah, I like this. Let's go have some fun this weekend. Thanks, Peter. Have fun, dude. Thank you. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Yeah, look, I talk to Demoff pretty often because he's got big picture stuff, and it's not so much Aaron about like, you know, here's the scoop on you know this guy's ankle injury. We don't talk. We talk big picture stuff. You could tell that guy's a leader and you know pretty impressive in his own right. Yeah, and I mean he, like he was saying, the the amount of people who have come through that door that he has worked with, and to be there for multiple regimes and like the different the connections to different coaches as well as different quarterbacks uh loved hearing that especially going into this weekend my big takeaway is that it's it's it, the, the frustration that those who know have over the raheem morris situation is real and it comes from kevin i speak to kyle shanahan about it it comes to guys like lafleur all of these guys who have worked with raheem are like that's the that's the voice of the locker room that's the voice who gets the players and yet Year after year comes by and he's not getting a head coaching job. We'll see how it goes as we're recording this. There's a several vacancies. And yet I have no assurance that Raheem Morris is getting one of these jobs this year either. It's impressive to have a, a front office like actively be like, we this we love this guy. We want That's him a secure here, organization. So we want him to get his shot at being a head coach. Yeah, that is wild. That is a secure organization. Other organizations would guard these guys like they're gold. Um, with the Rams, it's like we've had 30 different guys come and go. Like, well, we're happy for all of them. The tree is what's important. Everyone go branch out. I think he used the phrase, we were trying to sell him or sell the like other teams on him, as opposed to like, we're denying interviews. It's like, no, yeah. They're, yeah, they're fighting for him, which is great. You love to see that from an organization. You love to see it. All right, so that's Rams versus... Lions Sunday night. I can't wait for it. Uh, let's do the Uber Eats delivering results. Aaron, how's that sound? Last week was week 18. We got to give it to somebody. And the person I'm going to give it to is actually a Los Angeles Ram. I'm going to give it to Puka Nakua. Puka Nakua broke the single season record, which is pretty impressive for not only patches for a rookie, but for yards for a rookie in a season. He did it with Carson Wentz throwing him dimes. Shout out to Puka Nakua, breaks the record, gives the ball to his mother. There's smiles all abound. We'll see what he could do this weekend. But when you break two, two longstanding NFL records, like catches for a rookie in a season and receiving yards in a rookie season, and oh yeah, you're the 20th wide receiver selected in the draft and you're a fifth round pick, you get my love. I'm going to say Puka Nakua gets the uber Delivering results. Uber Eats delivering results where you can get almost, almost anything from Uber Eats. On that note, there's plenty of games this weekend. Rams-Lions is the one I've got circled. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to this. Such a good insight in 
hiring coaches, McVeigh, Stafford, Goff, Aaron Wong Kaufman, Jason English, all the boys and gals on the West Coast, and especially you guys, the listeners. Thanks for listening. I uh, feel like we're doing some pretty cool stuff over here. Maybe not as viral as some other podcasts at the moment. If Cat Williams wants to come on, feel free. If Aaron Rodgers wants to voice his thoughts on some topics, feel free. Uh, we're here. We're just doing our job the best way we can. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you guys next week. The Season with Peter Schrager is a production of the NFL in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower... 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.